Welcome to the Faith Bridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon features founding pastor Ken Werlein and was recorded on Sunday, October 30th, 2022. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org slash live. Here's Ken. Well, good morning in this room, in the live service, and in the communion service, and online, however it is that you're here, we're really glad you're here. So, we're going to continue on our journey through the book of Luke here that we're doing in 2022. So, why don't you take your Bibles and we'll go to chapter 18 today. Luke chapter 18. If you need a Bible, why don't you wave at one of the ushers that are coming in the aisles right now in either room, and they'd love to spot you one, and you can keep it if you need one. It's our gift to you. And while you're doing it, let me just add my happy candy palooza day to everybody else's. I had such fun looking at the children coming in in their little costumes and such excitement. And uh, my hope is that if you're a guest, that you'll feel today very uh, safe and very encouraged uh, for having come. And I hope it won't be the last time. And if you have kids, I bet it won't be the last time. And here's why I bet that, because I can't number the occasions that people have told me, you know, we came to FaithBridge and then the next week or two, we were driving down Stubner Airline and my child says, can we go back in there? And we love it when that happens. As a matter of fact, uh, Tyler told us a story, Tyler who and Maddie, who you saw on the screen a little while ago, he, he told us a story the other day in our staff meeting about uh, some friends of, of his who came for the first time a couple weeks ago. And a uh, son, a little guy, went to the kids' ministry, and <clears throat> after the 9 o'clock service was over, they went to pick up the son, and as they were walking out of the building and into the parking lot, the little guy uh, said, uh, but don't they have a second service? <laughs> We're like, yeah. <laughs> Although it is the same thing a second time. So yeah, it's kind of like seeing the movie the second time. So, but we love the spirit and FaithBridge has a high commitment to kids, starting at the youngest of years, right on up through elementary, middle school, high school. And um, That's just a big uh, part of what we do. It's a big part of what Jesus did. And I think that's what we're going to see today in Luke chapter 18. Now, before we read the text, what I want to talk about is a little bit of the context. Because before you uh, look at a text, you have to know what the context of that text was. So you can understand what was going on. By this point in Luke chapter 18, Jesus is rounding the corner, hitting the home stretch of his ministry He's, his face is set towards Jerusalem now. We're coming towards the end of the three years of ministry. By chapter 19, the very next chapter, he's going to enter into Jerusalem and the palm branches and what we call Palm Sunday. And then several days later, he'll end up on the cross and the crucifixion and that whole thing. And so uh, we don't know exactly how many weeks ahead of the Passion Week we are, maybe just only days 
But this is the context. So by this point, Jesus' ministry has the big momentum. There's energy. There's thousands of people showing up wherever. He's done some major miracles. He's, he's uh, had an impact on many, many people. And his enemies, the Pharisees, are hating him more than ever and getting ready to enact their plan to find him on a cross. <clears throat> That's the background of what's happening when we come whirling into this uh, scene right here. So let's look at verse 15, and I think you'll see something interesting. Verse 15, people were also bringing their babies to Jesus to have him place his hands on them. And when the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. Stop there. Now, why would the disciples rebuke the people for bringing their babies towards Jesus? I'll tell you why. Because in those days, children, if you had a pecking order, and they did, the pecking order was this. Men, women, kids, and little pet animals. And that was kind of how the whole thing worked. So kids weren't treated like the VIPs that we kind of treat them like uh, today, right? <laughs> and so the disciples' calculus was simply, come on, people, we got a very important rabbi here. Thousands of people got pressing in on it. Back off. Stop bringing your little, your little people to him. He doesn't have time for that. Let's not bog him down. But look at what Jesus does, verse 16. But Jesus called the children to him, and he said, let the little children Come to me. Incidentally, he changes the word in the original language from paideia, which is the little babies. He changes it to children, which is more elementary. So, so we have some variation in the age of what Luke is saying, and that's confirmed by Matthew and by Mark in their accounts as well. So he says, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So we take for granted, those of us on this side of the cross and the resurrection and the gospel story, we take for granted that Jesus had a place in his heart for little kids. Some of you grew up as I did singing, Jesus loves little children, all the children. We were like, of course he does. But see, you have to remember, this was revolutionary. Other rabbis, they weren't going around touching little babies and saying, let me stop and hold them and pray for them and bless them and all those sorts of things. So this is really very, very different, what Jesus was doing, that he even, with the stress that he was going through, in his mind he knows we're headed for Jerusalem, I know what that means, it's going to be painful. The stress and the busyness, the crowds, he still said, wait, 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 I've got time. Let's pull over to the side of the road, because I want to pray for some of these little ones and bless them before we move on. Now what I want to do is, in our minutes here, just highlight for you three observations that I make from our text, especially helpful if you're a parent or a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or maybe adopted aunts or uncles or grandparents uh, and you have some uh, loved one's family that you're with and they have little kids, this sort of thing, which is pretty much a lot of us. Three things I want us to see that come straight from the text. First off, he calls us to, number one, prioritize moving our children into the presence of Jesus. He says, I want you to move your kiddos into my presence. The key word I say is prioritize because ending up at the right place always starts with the right goal that you set out for. 
Nobody ever accidentally stumbled into completing a marathon. You get there because you set out a goal, you worked up your plan, you built towards the plan. Nobody ever accidentally stumbled into having a, a lush vegetable garden. No, you got out there, you tilled the soil, you planted the seeds, you fertilized, you watered, you pulled out all the weeds. And, and then if you got good weather on top of it, you, you actually had something turn out that was meaningful and useful. And that's how it is with, with parenting our little ones spiritually. We only get effective results when we get intentional. And even then, there's some variations, some climate that kind of has to factor into this, and that's just what we chalk up to God's uh, providence. But here's what I want to ask you, parents. Let me ask you this question. Are you being intentional about getting your children into the presence of Jesus? Are you being intentional about that. Here's my concern. I think that there's a lot of parents who are spending a lot of energy being intentional about getting our children into things like getting a better coach for their sports. And we're all in with sports. I've told you that story with one of my boys, the athlete. So nothing against sports. We're all there. Or getting better uh, musical instruction from instructors. And that was my jam when I was growing up. Nothing wrong with spending a lot of time working on your instrument or getting better grades. Nothing wrong with any of those sorts of things. But all of them miss the grand goal that Jesus is saying, let your little children come. Let your children come to me. I want, would you, would you spend a little time and focus on how you're going to get them into my presence? How do we do that practically? How do we get them into the presence of Jesus nowadays? What I'd like to do is just spend a few minutes this message is, is going to be slightly testimonial and just more practical than exegetical. And so what I want to do is I, I want to talk about uh, parents several things. First off, I want you to realize something, and that is that you, parents, all of us who are parents, you are the single greatest influencer of your children's spirituality. Steve Carter put me onto a book when I asked him last week uh, that's called Handing Down the Faith. It's kind of a, an academic uh, s study, and so it's kind of a s slugging it out kind of book. But this much comes through very clear, and that is the single most powerful causal influence on the religious lives of American teens and young adults is the religious life of their parents. Not their peers, not the media, not even their youth pastors, not even clergy. It's the parents. Now, here's the tricky thing. Kids don't act like you have much influence, certainly by the time they get into teenage years, right? They act like, you don't know anything. You don't even matter. But those cultural illusions are belied by the sociological data. Parents have the biggest influence on their kids' spirituality. So how are you stewarding that influence? Family expert Dennis Rainey used an illustration. I guess I think I grabbed hold of it 20 years ago. And it's the concept of two electrical panels. And uh, one of those electrical panels um, is you. And your kids have all of their plugs plugged into you. That's how it is when you start out. And the object of parenting, Dennis Rainey said, was to one by one get them to unplug this plug and put it into the other panel. Who's the other panel? Jesus. And one by one, to get them dis, 
uh, unplugged from you and plugged in to him because one day you won't be there for them. But he will. And that's just a word picture I've, I've kept in my mind. Said, okay, how are we doing on transferring the plugs from me, from Suzanne, to the Lord? That's the goal for us in parenting. Getting our kids to the point where they are loving the Lord God with all of their heart and soul and mind for themselves. Not for our sake, but because they have their own relationship with him. Now, Suzanne and I will be the first to say we're hardly perfect parents. We could name a thousand times, and I bet our kids could name more, of the times we've goofed it up, said dumb things, done the wrong things, and been impatient and short and all of these sorts of things. But I think they would also say that we've done a few things right. And so let me just highlight both of them. All right, the first one is this. <laughs> Reading scripture uh, from their youngest years. From their youngest years, we would just get uh, the, the, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible. And that's a great little one. And I'm sure that there's other very good ones that have come along since our boys were little. And, but m- many a night, we would lie in bed and we would just go through the stories of Scripture uh, this way. If you've got little ones, that's a great thing that you could do. And here's a little bonus. Somebody was just telling me the other day, he's kind of new to the faith. He said, you know what I realized? If I read that Jesus storybook Bible, I'm kind of catching up myself. I said, sure, <laughs> do it. He said, I'm kind of getting how the whole thing works. And I'm like, there you go. So a little bonus for you. I'll tell you a second thing. As our boys have grown, we've wanted them to move from depending upon us for their devotional life, get, to, get it plugged in to the Lord himself, having their own devotional life, where they're talking to the Lord themselves in prayer, where they're reading scripture themselves and learning how to uh, do some journaling and put some thoughts down. And, and our Faithbridge student ministry, FSM, and our road ministry works with kids on this as well, kind of teaching them, here's how you can have a meaningful um, devotional life as you go. And one of our sons is dyslexic. And one morning I uh, walked out and he was curled up on the sofa with his iPad and I could hear some, and I, I peeked over and I said, like, what are you looking at? He said, Dad, I just discovered something. If you go on the YouVersion app, YouVersion is one of the most downloaded apps for the Bible. If you haven't got YouVersion on your phone, you, might as, you should just go ahead and get it because you can get every translation of the Bible any which way you want it. And they have all sorts of reading plans and helpful tools. Anyhow, he discovered, Dad, if you press this button, it reads it to you. Like, that's a clever dyslexic, and most dyslexic are clever. You figure it out your work around. He said, yeah, so I can just listen, and I can picture the scenes um, when I'm going through Scripture. I'll tell you another, a, another little help uh, that, that I found, and that is, have you ever discovered the Bible Project videos? Raise your hand in this room. Some of you have seen. Okay, good. But this is a really handy deal. If you'll just, go, if you'll just Google Bible Project there's these people up in the Northwest somewhere, and um, I forget what their names are, but they do a really good job of summarizing each book of the Bible in these little graphics, and they sort of tell the story in about seven to 10 minutes of, of each book of the Bible. You could just have a little seminary if you just, if you just go through. And they have all sorts of other helpful tools and, and videos that you can watch as well. 
and I've put my kids onto those um, as well, the Bible Project. And, and understand, friends, we're not trying to do anything that people haven't been trying to figure out how to do for thousands of years. In fact, way before Jesus ever came along, you had the Israelites who were trying to figure out how do we help our kids grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And so God says to them in Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, here's how you do it. Impress these things upon your children. Talk about them when you're sitting at home. Talk about them when you're walking along the road and when you're lying down and when you're rising up. In other words, what was he saying? He was saying capture the peripheries of time. Capture the peripheries of time. See, I think that's where a lot of us um, uh, goof it up. Because we think, well, if I'm going to do anything meaningful, I'm going to have to have at least an hour. And I've got to study and get the whiteboard out. And I've got to really become a master. No, 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 no. Some of the best discipling that we've ever done with our kids, and that's been done with me when I was younger, was just using the peripheries of time. Just when we're driving along and when we're uh, walking along and we're getting ready for bed or getting up in the morning. Or, uh, and just, just a well-placed uh, question. You know, while watching a, a, a game during a commercial or, or any of these sorts of things, just say, hey, so, uh, son, where did you see God at work in that scene that we, you were just telling me about? Or how is your friend Mark coming along this faith? Or so who are you going to invite to FCA or to Point Break? Um, realize, friends, nobody has impact that you can have on your children. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And if you're new at it, you don't have to fake it. You can be authentic and say, hey, you know, son, honey, I'm not much further along in this, but the Lord's doing something inside of my heart and he's changing me and I want us to take this journey together. I've heard many stories over the years of kids who said that's essentially what my parents said and that's one of the first times I ever looked up to them and admired them because they were acknowledging I need something else outside of me and I don't know it all but I'm starting to take some steps so let the little children uh, come to me you say well, I know it's it's hard it's, it's I'm tired I'm exhausted oh I get it I do get it and those of you who are single moms I particularly just take my hat off to you because I marvel at at what you're doing I mean it's Suzanne and I we just had two little ones we were exhausted and, and I remember one time I was I was uh standing right outside those doors and a retired pastor who worshiped here for years with his wife, Bob Livesay was his name. And Bob was saying, how are you doing, Ken? And I said, I'm kind of exhausted right now. He says, well, of course you are. You have two little ones. He said, but I'm just going to tell you something. Remember this. He said, at this stage where you're at, Ken, the days feel like years. But in a few years, when you're at my stage, you'll look back and the years will seem like they were just days. So make the most of every day, even in your exhaustion. Turn to the Lord and he'll give you extra strength. And he'll give you extra grace. Let the children 
comes. And also we want to let the children come to it because I'll tell you something else that's just interesting sociological data. And that is the overwhelming majority of people who put their trust in Jesus Christ do so before the age of 20, which really kind of makes sense. Because when you think about it, you tell an older crusty person, Jesus loves you. And they go, <laughs> not so sure about that. And or prove it. But you tell a child, Jesus loves you. They're like, yeah, he does. Why wouldn't he? You know, and, and, <laughs> and tell me more. And, and that's sort of what St. Augustine was saying years and years ago when he said, God has made us for himself and our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in him. So... Let the little children come. We can't do it for you. We'll, we'll partner with you. And that's why we do all the stuff that we do around here and have the VBS in the summer and the retreats and all the, all the stuff. We'll, we will partner. We'll try to put tools in your wagon and, and, and load you up. But finally, you have to, mom and dad, realize you have the most influence. So Jesus says, let them come. He starts positive, but then he flips it and he turns negatively. Um, when you go just to the next phrase, look at what, let the little children come to me and flip it over, do not hinder them. So he's, he's leaning into it, a double click. He's like, I, I don't want to move on yet. Like, really, I want you to let them come and I don't want you to hinder them. Now, what are some hindrances? I'll name a couple that I was just sort of thinking through this week. The first one is cynicism. I think parents, one of the, th the worst things that we can do is uh, bleed our cynicism over into our children. Even yesterday, one of our boys was reporting uh, from a slumber party he'd gone to the night before with a bunch of neighbors, and, and uh, they were out apparently shooting baskets. And one of the other guys said, hey, why don't we do this on Sunday evening? And my guy said, actually, I can't do that. Well, how come? Because I got point break in, in that Mercurius group on Sunday evenings. They're like, do you like that? Yeah, actually I do. Do you believe all this stuff? Everybody knows that stuff the other guy says. Everybody knows those things are lies. I asked him, did you ask him which things are the lies? He's like, that's what I forgot. That's... <laughs> I'm like, yeah, because let me tell you something. He's only 12 or 13, that guy. I promise you, he is no philosopher. He has not done any deep dive <laughs> into the weighty things of, the, of, of, of theology. He's just mimicking something he's heard. Where has he heard that? He says, probably from his parents. I'm like, of course. But I thought, how sad. Because they're hindering a great kiddo from the things of God. Now, I want to just pull off to the side of the road and say one more thing about cynicism because I am convinced of this having been in ministry for decades and that is if you have cynical feelings towards God or Jesus or the church, I just have a sneaking suspicion it's not because you ever did a deep dive into God's word and scripture and, and you decided this is t t goofy. Now, People have done great searches into scripture and said, actually, this kind of makes sense. 
That's not where the cynicism ever comes from. Here's where the cynicism comes from. It's not from God. It's not from Jesus. It's from somebody who said they worked for God. It's from somebody in a church that you went to maybe 10 or 15 or 20 or more years ago. And they hurt you. Maybe they abused you and took advantage of you. And something in your soul snapped. Of course it did. You were hurting and you had to figure out a way. How can I seal this off? And something in your soul just closed up and said, hell with it. It's all lies. Well, actually, yeah. That is. But what I'd want to challenge you to consider, friends, is it wasn't the Lord who was all lies. It was a terrible representation of him. That, I believe, if you sailed upstream to the headwaters of your cynicism, was what time and time again I've discovered with people. It's because somebody hurt you. And in a few minutes when we close, I'm, I'm going to pray for you because I believe that God wants to bring you into some freedom and some liberation and some healing from that. So that's one of the hindrances. I think there's cynicism and I think it's, uh, it's everywhere uh, these days, but I don't believe it's towards the real Jesus. I'll tell you a second thing, superficiality. That's another hindrance, superficial faith. I read an interesting blog that I think has been around for a while, but I stumbled upon it. Five ways to make sure your kids hate church. I thought, well, now that's interesting. Number one, make sure that your faith and your talk about God is something that you only do on Sunday mornings. There's nothing in between. It's, and you do it in public. God and faith and all those are things you do. Somebody's looking. Hey, let's talk about God and, and go to church and, and that sort of deal. But there's a superficiality to it. I read about a, an older man who was a seasoned Christian and he was sitting with a, a disciple of his, a younger man who had just put his faith in, in the Lord. And the younger man was asking the older man, so why do you think that over time there's people that fall away from the faith? He said it was like this. He said, the other day I was sitting on this porch and my dog was sitting right where he's sitting, lying there. And all of a sudden, a little white rabbit went dashing across our front yard. You know what my dog did? He jumped up, started chasing that rabbit, went over the hill and around. And other dogs in the neighborhood heard the barking and the commotion. And so they ran out, they started chasing as well. But one by one, each of those dogs fizzled out until finally only mine was the chaser. You know why? The young man says, why? He says, because my dog was the only one that ever really saw the rabbit. And I think that's what happens, parents, if we're not careful. We give to our, our children a superficial faith. We haven't introduced them to the real Lord We've just asked them to espouse or embrace some outer trappings, some outer workings of, of faith. Like we should go to church and these sorts of things. 
and, and make sure some people see us because that's the way we want to do it. I'll tell you another one in that five ways to make your kids hate church. Make sure that church is a priority unless something better comes along, like a big game or a social event or something like that. I'm going to challenge some of you right here. Um, because I've had this conversation, it feels like, more after the pandemic than ever before. A parent says, you know, our kid's just not, not that interested in, in, in church and coming to the FSM and all the kind of stuff anymore. And sometimes, if I'm feeling bold, I'll say, well, let me ask you, how often do you come? Oh, every, we get there about once every four to six weeks now. I say, well... I think sporadic parents raise sporadic children. You think? Someone asked the the great scholar Albert Schweitzer, how do you, how do children learn? He said, oh, that's easy. Three ways, by example, by example, by example. Our children read our lives. They read our lives, not our lectures. Friends. And so if what you do conflicts with what you say, what you say will always be canceled by what you do every single time. So what about superficiality? Is there a superficiality to your faith? Jesus is saying, don't hinder the kids. Let them come to me and don't hinder. Don't put these blockades up. Um, Last thing, number three, realize that entrance into his kingdom comes through something that children have, childlike faith. See, children aren't jaded. There's an innocence about them and an acceptance, a readiness to believe. You tell the gospel to a child, the concept that, that God created humanity to be good and to do good, but humankind rebelled and shook our fists at God and said, I don't want to do it your way. I'll do it my way. And, and you tell a child, rather than quit on us, our great God loved us enough to come into this world and become one of us. Taking the flesh and the blood of a man, Jesus. And he lived the life of sinless perfection that we couldn't live and he died the death of punishment that we all deserved. He stood in our place as our sacrifice and then he conquered the grave that we would never be able to conquer. You say that to a child and they're like, that actually kind of makes sense. And that's what Jesus is saying is needed childlike faith. Calvin Miller used to call it the H-E-A, happily ever after. He said, really, every great story that had an H-E-A was just a, a mimic of the ultimate story, the gospel story. Talk about an h E-A, a happily ever after that all of us would be lost in sin and set for a, a Christless eternity. 
but Christ comes and does for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. But see, I think this is where adults get particularly confused. Children seem to get this. Adults don't seem to get this. Adults, we adults, we tend to, to, to say, got it. So Christ died on the cross for us, he conquered the grave, and I put my trust in him. Right. And they continue, we need to fill up our basket with a lot of good things that we do so that one day we can hand our basket to God and say, look at all the things I did, God. That's surely good enough, right? Wrong. That's not good news. If that was what we did, that would be bad news. Because how good is good enough? I got to get it back out there and do some more good things. See, that's not what the gospel is, but that's what computes to us. It's only fair, right? So, so we, we've done all these sorts of things over here that are bad, so we got to counterbalance them with all these good, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals life. That's a childlike faith. And all of us, no matter how old we are, we're called to have that type of faith. The old theologian, uh, now uh, very uh, long gone, uh, Karl Barth in the 20th century was riding on a train in Europe and someone sat down next to him and knew what a famous theologian he was and finally mustered up the courage and said, Dr. Bart, I just would like to ask you a, a question. You're prolific in the world of theology. I know who you are. And so of all of the theological truths that you've ever come upon, what's the most profound of them? He pondered for a minute and he said, here it is. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you know, I think Karl Barth had it right. I've had the good fortune of going to good schools, earning a bachelor's degree and a master's degree and a doctorate degree, but I would say any of those are any bit important, more important than what Mrs. Van Zant explained to me when I was 10 in fourth grade. And she explained the gospel and said, now he invites you to put your trust in him, not in your own self, not in your own goodness, but in his goodness. And so one night I was lying in my bed and I was having a hard time going to sleep because I was thinking about it. And so finally I got up and went out to the living room, dining room, and there was my mom paying bills. And I told her what I was thinking and she said, ah, oh, let me go get your dad. Tonight is gonna be a very important night in your life. And that was the night that the three of us knelt down by the sofa that was the night I invited Christ to come into my life. And that, friends, has made all the difference in the world. Now, if you would have said one day you're going to be a pastor and lead a church, I'd have looked at you like you had horns. That was no more on my mind. I was 10. But God was already working. He was working in me. And he wants to work in your child as well. And so as we close, I want to pray that he will do that and that you'll let him to do that. 
and that he might do a work in your heart as well. So why don't we pray? Lord, thank you for your love. Thanks for your grace. Thanks for the good news and for coming and dying for us and rising so that we could have life, so that we could have hope, so that we could have purpose. Lord, my prayer is that you would pour out your blessings upon every person hearing my voice right now. Some of us are sitting here and we're feeling a bit guilty because we say, I've not done so well at this. Lord, I pray that you would speak a word of encouragement and hope to any such heart and remind them that you're a God who restores what the locusts have eaten and that you can do much with very little. And so even if there's only so much time left or even only grandchildren left, that you could still do a work in them and through them. And I pray that you will, God. And then I want to pray for those who have been oozing some cynicism. And if they were honest, they might admit it's because of what we talked about a few minutes ago it wasn't really that you had goofed up but that some people or a person who was trying to represent you did a terrible representation and hurt them and I pray God that you would work healing in their souls and bring them into freedom and a sense of newness and readiness to trust in you. And then for the person here who has never said yes to you in the first place, I pray God that you would just do a work and change hearts even as I'm praying aloud. Friends, you can just borrow this prayer as I say it aloud. You can just make these words your words, Jesus. I invite you to come into my heart to cleanse me of my sins and from all unrighteousness to fill me full of your spirit to give me new purpose for living and help me to live for your sake and to learn what that means so that I can influence those who are entrusted to my care for your great good and glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.